I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Frau Pow, where your hosts, Odd and Rags. So this week, we are interviewing Allie Clayton. Um, She is, as you will be able to tell pretty quickly, from the South. Um, She used to be involved in pageants. Um, Now, she is a New Yorker who is proud and out, um, also loves cowboy boots, and she is a comedian, and she's pretty fucking hilarious. Um, Allie's been performing for about 10 years, um, and she got her start at the Actors Theater of Louisville and the Second City Conservatory in Chicago, where she spent eight years working her way up, and now she's here in New York doing her thing. Um, She has been here since 2016, and she was recently featured on Vice's Funny How and was just selected to participate in this year's stand-up NBC showcase, which is pretty cool. So congrats on that. Thank you. And welcome. Thank you. Um, So I'm going to start off like pretty soft. Okay. So like, tell us about yourself. Where'd you grow up? <laughs> uh, well, I grew up in Rougemont, North Carolina, uh, but nobody knows where that is, so I say Durham, so it's Durham County. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up on a farm. We sold miniature horses and donkeys, um, and then we stopped doing that, and we got a bunch of exotic animals. Like exotic how? Um, like a lion and a tiger. To keep and, or like as a zoo or like to like okay, so, to do what with? I'm always intrigued by like people who keep these types of animals. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't legal. Um, 
Well, like, so we're like very much like the Beverly Hillbillies. Like, mm-hmm. my, nobody in my family has any money. But then, like, my dad hit it real big as a lawyer. So he got this big house and he's like, let's get some monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Just totally fine with it. And my brother is, a, he's actually a monkey doctor now. He's a primatologist. He has two oh different gosh. doctorates. And I didn't know you could do that. I have yeah. a friend who's a primatologist. I mean, I knew you could be a primatologist, but I didn't know that was like meant you like, you know, I thought if you were a vet, you had to like, not like vet. And then like, anyways, I'm, we're Continue. done. Continue. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> but he was, he was real into animals, specifically into primates. And like when I was like sneaking off and getting high and, trying ecstasy for my first time my brother was just like in his room with a binder (laughs) memorizing like monkey's brain weights (laughs) and that's funny because that's not fucking (laughs) (laughs) that's what my partner did but with civil war maps he redrew them (laughs) but now he has two doctorates so um it paid off Yeah. yeah it definitely it definitely all paid off um, but yeah, but by the time I was 21, uh, my dad didn't pay any of his taxes and went bankrupt and they took all, they took our animals. What was your favorite animal? Uh, it was a monkey named Clayton. He was a capuchin. My last name is also Clayton. He was named when we got him. And I think that was monkey fate. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thought about that one a lot. <laughs> um, so how did you like decide to go into acting? Um, so I'm super dyslexic, uh, got diagnosed when I was eight years old. I got caught in the third grade, uh, having my kindergarten reading buddy read to me. Third graders were supposed to go in and read to the kindergartners each week. And my buddy always wanted to read Berenstein Bears. And like, that's a lot of words. (laughs) Yeah. Berenstein in itself is a barrier. (laughs) Yeah. Like, ugh. And um, the teacher noticed one day that I wasn't reading to my, I was having the kindergartner read to me. (laughs) I'm like, I already taught him. Look how good he's doing. I was going to say, that's like entrepreneurial spirit right there. Yeah. So couldn't read, but pretty clever. Um, (laughs) And so I I, I love this story, telling the story that when my mom told me I was, I was just like, like I was scream crying and she was just like. You know, and it's great because you're going to go to special school. <laughs> and I was like, it's not special school. It's stupid school. And mom's like, it's not. <laughs> dyslexic people aren't stupid. Did you know Albert Einstein was dyslexic? And I just looked at her and said, who is that? <laughs> And then she said, well, did you know Cher's dyslexic? And I was just like, I'm listening. Uh, she should have known then. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I love my mom would get drunk and dress up as Cher a lot throughout oh. my childhood. Got some great pictures of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I just had the visual of uh, the, the movie Dumpling. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Dumpling? Yeah, I have. Okay. Also, there's With like Dolly no- Parton. No G on the end of that. Dumplin. Yeah. Sorry. Dumplin. Yeah. <laughs> Dolly Parton is an idol. You need to respect her. <laughs> so that's how I got into like doing beauty pageants was literally like I couldn't read. So mom was like, we got to find something to raise her self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let her be judged by her looks. <laughs> 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 
and I didn't like the competitive parts of it. Some of the girl, little girls could be like real bitches. <laughs> um, yeah, I believe yeah. it. Um, and some of the parents were really insane. But I liked being on a stage. What did you do for your talent? I sang show tunes. Ooh. Um, but for my very first pageant, my mama had her best friend, Woody, who was also her hairdresser, slash, I think, the only gay man out in North Carolina at the time. Um, he did my hair and makeup, and I look like a drag queen. <laughs> and... They had me, and because they would do, Woody would do drag at our house with mom, when my mom would dress up, they would just get drunk and do drag shows in the living room. And so Woody did all my hair and makeup, and they had me be Reba McIntyre. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, they were, and they didn't even let me sing. They were like, you have to lip sync. Because I guess like the, Woody just felt like that's what he could coach the best. <laughs> and so Woody coached me to do... Um, Reba McIntyre's Fancy Don't Let Me Down. Mm -hmm. That song is about a mama convincing her daughter to become a prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> I was eight. <laughs> um, I do have to tell you that my dad used to tell me a story when we lived in Nashville that Reba McIntyre used to come and see him. He's an eye doctor. Um, and he would always talk about how long her hair was. Apparently it was really long in the 90s. I don't know. It was. <laughs> and then I she know, cut it all off and then I she went the on TV. video last week. <laughs> <laughs> um and then uh I ended up studying acting in college and realized kind of in college that I was funny like I've always well I was goofy in high school and I've always been goofy but I think there was part of me because the pageant stuff in her, that I wanted to be the princess like and it was like well my hair's blonde and my eyes are blue and I, th I think that's just what I'm supposed to be but like this is not who I am as far as my personality and I was just like, God, never a princess, always a dwarf. Um, <laughs> and that, and that's how I would be cast. In, in college, I was only cast as, like, grandmothers <laughs> and children. <laughs> I played all the grandmothers and all the children and all the plays. Um, and then when I went to Actors Theater of Louisville to work on New American Plays for a year, they said, what's the one thing you want to do that you're most scared to try? And I was like, stand up. Mm -hmm. And... So I worked for like a month writing down a whole list of all the vagina names. <laughs> and that's, that's a long this, time. How many did you I, get? I mean, I had like 30 or so. 30 I mean, that's 40. a lot. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's that a good. I mean, number. I need to look for that. I mean, I remember some of them, you know, the bearded clam. Mm -hmm. um, Pretty beef, standard. Yeah. Yeah. Beef curtains, pink taco. Pink mm. taco. I like that. Yeah, that's a good one, right? A lot of mossy is what my whole family called it growing up. A mossy, and that kind of, it's kind of disgusting, right? Yeah, it's really gross. <laughs> it's really mossy. gross. Yeah, whack your mossy. <laughs> like, it's nasty. Yeah. So th then I started. Yeah, I started stand up in Louisville, and then I completely bombed. Uh, I pointed to different women in the audience that night and said, "Hey, you know, I bet you have some beef curtains." And oh, everybody hated me. <laughs> I cried, and then I was like, "I'm going to do that again." <laughs> Yeah, that sounds good. Like, if I did that, I wouldn't, would never leave my house again. <laughs> if I signed up to do that, I don't think I would show up. No, yeah, that's the thing. There, there lies like the problem. Um, so you're openly gay. Let's talk about being openly gay. Okay. Because I'm openly something. I don't know. I think I'm just like queer at this stage. 
Ow. Now, what exactly does that mean? And maybe this is just kind of like the southerner in me. Yeah, it's not like, a good word in the south still. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I've had, like, girls that have hurt me that have been like, well, you know, like, I'm not really, I'm just kind of queer, like, and it's like, oh, I'll make out with you, but, like, I don't actually want to have any kind of a relationship yeah. with you. I think. And it's like, oh, so you're just hurtful. Yeah, I don't think that, I don't think they're associated no. with the queer label. They're just assholes. So I think, <laughs> and Odd, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, or Kate even, um, up here in New York and the surrounding areas, when we use the term queer, at least for me. I think I, just in some communities, maybe not here. Okay. I also don't mean to speak for the South as a whole. Okay. Because I was... That's fair. Rude. That's fair. Um, but for me, I use queer as a, I'm not entirely sure what my sexuality is. I know very much so that I am attracted to women as I am engaged to one. Um, but with saying that, and my partner and I have talked about this a number of times, we don't know if we're attracted to each other because she's also a woman or if there's like the other things of like the personality and just mm -hmm. jiving and getting along and having similar interests and like all the other things that kind of make a relationship work and then her being a woman is a plus. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I have a really hard time kind of um, working out the difference uh, differences of like, am I attracted to her based on her body first or am I attracted to her based on who she is as a person first mm -hmm. and then her body being a plus. And I think for me, because that's kind of hazy, because I've been, I had um, a very long relationship with a man that I was also engaged to. Um, it kind of makes it a hazy line for me because I'm not entirely sure what my sexuality is. I do know that I am in love with this woman and I plan fully on marrying her and spending the rest of my life with her. But at the same time, I don't know how that would determine my sexuality. Uh, I mean, I've been with men. I was... I've had so much dick in me um <laughs> like, but i mentioned this the other day to someone that like i noticed that when i would have sex with men i my favorite position was always reverse cowgirl and i really think mm. it's because i mm -hmm. could i don't have to like look at their look at gross them. hairy chest like i can just like imagine there's beautiful titties back there yeah like i really love titties um titties but, are great <laughs> Titties. I know you're like like you're talking about your partner and like I don't know if it's you know her body or is it like her mind and I'm like oh, well I really like mine's titties <laughs> <laughs> so that's for great sure. mind but love them titties <laughs> uh, love you babe <laughs> but I consider myself bisexual for for quite a while um, and then like now I don't I couldn't I don't plan to be with anybody else but I couldn't imagine ever being with a man again so coming out to your family what, what a blast <laughs> <laughs> as someone who has come out to her family that was fun let's yeah. talk yeah um yeah i mean it took me a long time it took me a long i didn't i didn't know any lesbians growing up but i can't think of any tv shows or anywhere where i saw them represented um for me i knew some gay men um, but the only thing I knew of gay men was that being a gay man meant you're very flamboyant, you're very girly. Um, yeah, I had n zero representation in in my life for that. And I think I started to <laughs> really notice some strong feelings in college, just 
I, I started watching the L word. Yeah, I was about to say, I was like, that was my first representation. <laughs> I lived in a trailer with a man and his daughter, and I kept my off-campus apartment because one night a week when L word would come on, I wouldn't want to stay with him because I would go home and masturbate to L. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that priority. <laughs> yeah, I was like, look, I love you. I love our family. I love our trailer. I'm going to go over here and masturbate to these women, <laughs> and I will be back to make the casserole tomorrow. <laughs> um, eventually, I found, by the time I was like 23, I admitted it to a friend, mm-hmm. and then didn't tell anyone in my family until I was about 25 26 i'm 32 now how did how did they take it um not really believing like it's always oh liberal alley oh Allie mm-hmm. the theater person mm-hmm. oh oh Allie believes in everybody yeah you know? well, no my family told me to stop listening to npr because they were trying to convert me yeah <laughs> so. um my brothers told me my, my oldest brothers told me that you know he just loves me, but he doesn't agree with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was asked like not to um, call my girlfriend my girlfriend. Like I need to say buddy or friend. Don't hold hands with her. How was she it? She was you- uninvited to a wedding. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to. She was supposed to be my date. I wasn't allowed to bring her because that will take the attention away from the bride. If everybody's looking at us being gay. Um. But then there's some people that are really wonderful about it. Like, my mom's really great and, like, loves my girlfriend. But then also, like, when the wedding thing happened was, like, well, you just got to understand, you know, it needs to be about the bride. And I'm, like, how can you get this is really wrong? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really not okay. Um my, my, I, I felt like it was really going to be a big thing with my dad, and it definitely made him uncomfortable. But I think he's just made uncomfortable by the idea of anyone being with me. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> just like any anyone. Uh, the man I lived in the trailer with actually bought a ring and asked my dad when I was like 21 if he could marry me. <laughs> and he went to my dad and was like, I'd like to marry your daughter. And my dad just looked at him and said, No, you may not. <laughs> 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 um, so your dad's just being a dad not necessarily yeah. like homophobic or anything just being a dad no he's he's really he's really not um i mean he did it and i think he's he's come a real long way as a as a person throughout my life and i mean i remember at one point when i first told him probably when i was around 25 26 that uh he said well, all right, that's fine. I'd rather you. I'd rather you marry a woman than a black man. Yeah, Ooh. that's. Mm-hmm. I've heard that because I had dated black men before. Yeah, um, I've definitely heard that, and it's yeah. weird, like how people bring that up. I'm like, so, why was that ever an option? Maybe so marry home like a black so home an Iranian woman. <laughs> I was gonna be like, maybe like, <laughs> go back or go home. <laughs> um, who he loves now? He, he does. He loves Melody, and he's really has just come so far shown me that people can really grow and he really just doesn't give a shit anymore like my brother not being nice to me about the gay stuff and telling me he'd rather me not be this way and things like that my dad's just like well 
I don't see why he's acting like that because I don't know if he realizes that there's as many gay people in Durham, North Carolina as there is in San Francisco. <laughs> and I'm like, you've made that up. But yeah, that's not I'm true. glad you're on board. <laughs> I took you to one lesbian karaoke night. <laughs> He's like all about it. No. <laughs> it's funny because my dad, so my parents live in Florida. Yeah. And my dad's like, you should really consider moving down here. He's like, Sarasota has such an up and coming gay scene. You would love <laughs> it. They have pride parades. And like, they're, they're, they have a lot of jobs and everything. And I'm like, First of all, no. Second of all, fucking no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would be over it in like a day. It's like everything is so cheap and then really warm all the time. And then you're there for more than 24 hours and you're like, there's so many crazy racists here. Yeah, everyone in my family, but the monkey doctor voted for Trump. Oh, Ooh, and that the sounds day real fun. after Trump was elected, I had to fly to North Carolina to go to the wedding of my cousin that I was not allowed to bring my girlfriend to. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I cried so hard. Like, I missed my flight. I missed three flights. On I just couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't stop crying. And, like, I had... An appropriate response, though. Mm -hmm. My mom has a lot of mental illness, and it was very important that she be at the wedding. And, like, if I wasn't there, that meant my mom wasn't going to get up and get ready. And, like, I had this duty to do, and... It's just the last place on earth I wanted to be. And finally I show up and I'm like waiting in line in Southwest and I'm crying so like just snot and just scream crying in this line. And this young black guy's behind the counter. He's like, damn, miss was wrong. And I was like, Donald Trump is my president. <laughs> and I, and I, I have to go to North Carolina. <laughs> and he came around and like gave me a hug oh. and then he was like man you're supposed to pay like a $200 fee but don't even worry about it <laughs> so I got a free flight cause I was so upset I mean at least one good thing happened yeah. that day yeah, cause I was right? I was in shambles a long time yeah i remember so my brother got married last may and i remember leading up to his wedding and he invited both chrissy and i and leading up to his wedding i'm like is it okay if we dance together and he's like do whatever the fuck you want it's my wedding you're happy i'm happy well he and also like, lives like in yeah he's in socal he's in california so it's like very different but my mom was still struggling at the time with my sexuality and like me being with chrissy and everything um so I was like, do you think mom would have an issue if we, we dance together? And he's like, I don't give a fuck. Just dance. And I'm like, <laughs> you're so sweet. I love you. I hate you, but I love you. Yeah, I have um, a cousin. She also did not vote for Trump and invited me and my girlfriend to her wedding in uh, Richmond, Virginia recently, <laughs> or Virginia Beach, Virginia. And we went to that and Melody was my date, and it was great. And my niece and nephew were there, and I'm now allowed to say girlfriend. And like it, it was on New Year's Eve, so mm -hmm. right at midnight, we're all standing there as a family, and we clink our glasses, and we all go to kiss. And I mean, I kissed my girlfriend. I did not ram my tongue down her throat or anything like that. And my brother's gotten a lot better. This is my oldest brother. Who before said he like didn't want me to be gay and stuff. And he kind of just, we did that, and he just goes, oh, 
I mean, do you have to? And my niece, my nine-year-old niece, just goes, what, Dad? What's the big deal? It doesn't matter. <laughs> if it were only that simple, because I can't tell you how many times uh, we, like my family and I, have been watching a movie, and um, it's the same sort of reaction if, like, two people of the same gender kiss. And you're like, they're like I just don't want to see that. You don't have to do it in front of me. See, I do that when two straight people do it. I know. I, actually, I, don't I, know, I really do. I literally put my hands over <coughs> Chrissy's eyes. I'm like, ew, straight. And I cover her eyes. Mm-hmm. But literally, I don't want to see anybody doing anything. Like, I don't want to see anybody's tongues. Like, no. it's just gross. I don't want to hear no. the noise that people make when they make out. The lip just, smacking. Like, the lip smacking. It's too much for me. So I just apply that blanket to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> yeah. No PDA. But he did come up and apologize. Good. Which was a big step. That's awesome. That was a big I think step. It's also like it really goes to show that, you know, even with your brother being who he is and then his daughter just being like so nonchalant about it, like that gives hope to the future. And like kids are amazing. Kids are just like, oh, cool. You like girls. She cool. also wrote an original song called Allie and Melody. They're together <gasps> forever. <laughs> Nothing can stop them. Allie. Melody, they're together forever. That's so sweet. (laughs) It's so good. Shout out to Spalding Clayton. She's the best. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Oh, yeah. So I'm really interested because my family is um, also very Trump centric. Um, And I just so I have a policy that I'm just like saving up all of my arguments with them for a time where it like is like directly impacting someone that they know in my life or me and that we can like have it out because there are a lot of comments that are made and I'm just like, I can't argue with you every time I see you mm-hmm. about very sensitive things. Cause I would just end up falling. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, do you talk to your family about politics at all? Um, every now and then I'll get pissed off and say something. Yeah. But, um, and I've, and I've tried to explain, like, do you not understand that? Like it hurts me. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly it. And I feel like, they By don't. voting for him, you're saying that you don't think that I should have equal rights. That Mike Pence has said that gay people should have shock therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do you therapy. think I'm? Do you think because I love a woman, I'm mentally ill? Like, well, I don't. And then you know the argument's always no. It's for financial reasons. Mm-hmm. It's for this, and I'm like, well, but there those other things my rights are, really, are still in jeopardy. Yeah, those are yeah. really important things. Like, it's like I have a mental illness, but being 
you know, oh, LGBTQ. I do have men bipolar as hell, but like, yeah, but like, my sexuality has nothing to do with my to mental illness. Yeah, no, exactly. So you talked about bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that like? How did you get diagnosed with that? Um, my mom, uh, my grandpa killed himself. My mom's dad, and then my mom's been out of, in and out of psych wards since. Uh, I think since I was 17. Um, noticed like my depression got, I tried to kill myself when I was 15 and then got sent to, I got sent to the woods in Tennessee to a Native American rehab. That I can't, like, I'm smiling not because that's great, but because mm-hmm. that's like super classic. Like, you get <laughs> sent to like alternative school. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm an eagle, so that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> what does it mean? Um, I'm a graduate of the Native American rehab. Um, so it's we studied the medicine wheel. So okay, the part of the mouse is when you're can only see right what's right in front of your face, and then you move to the part of the bear where it's all about introspection and looking within, and then the eagle can really fly above and see the bigger picture. And then the medicine man, I mean, you're just a healer, a real buffalo. You're not there. You're not there yet, though. <laughs> I'm not. I don't know. It takes a lifetime to make it to be a buffalo. <laughs> but I also haven't, like, done much studying. <laughs> yeah. And this is all just also, like, a bunch of white southern girls in a cabin who, mm-hmm. like, they went a little too wild and their parents were like, ah! <laughs> Go to the woods. Um, but yeah, so I, at that point in time, I was diagnosed with um, manic depression, mm-hmm. which I didn't know until this past year when I had a really bad episode. I've had like different spouts of depression, self-harm, really bad anxiety, um, kind of like spinning were like spinning suicidal thoughts when I get into like a really bad place. Um, I'm gonna cry. Um. It's okay. It's totally welcome. Um, and it's also a very hard topic. So like, yeah. if you want to veer know, off that's course, okay. that's okay too. I, I think too. it's important to talk about. Um, yeah. So this past year, I quit drinking. I was a very heavy drinker. I think I was kind of definitely using it as some self-medicating yeah absolutely um but really did a lot of research this year on bipolar since i found out that my manic depression is actually bipolar um i was in the hospital for a little bit earlier this year and then decided to quit drinking and went on the keto diet um i've been smoke free for one day (laughs) congratulations (laughs) Keep up the good work. <laughs> I mean, I'm really killing it. Um, but yeah, I think I've just decided like I want to live. So I'm just trying everything I can do and just not drinking and eating good and doing these fucking exercises and all of it is supposed to help me even out a bit and not mess with my meds. Drinking can really mess with my medicine's ability to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you, are you, did... So did they put you on meds when you went to the reservation? A lot of different meds. I mean, one of the units, I mean, 
I got to work in therapy on this because there's definitely some major trauma from being in a place like that that I haven't really realized until like now. Like, oh, I was in a lockdown unit for three months where I didn't go outside like, mm-hmm. <laughs> of one big room. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those places are like, but I'm a cheerleader, but not funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. But then there's parts of it where I think I think it saved me. I think that. I mean, the doctor told my parents, they were like, you can take her home, but I guarantee you she'll be dead in a year. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I needed that at that point in time. I needed someone that was going to watch me 24-7. And to be honest, they were too drunk. They weren't going to watch me 24-7. Mm-hmm. So, um, see, tragedy makes comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Do we see my point here? Yeah, but I've been on, I've been on meds for... Um, a long time. I went off them at one point because I was just, I got to, I was probably 28. I got to like a really, it's feeling real great. And I'm like, life's working out. I just, I don't even need this. I don't need it. And uh, I got weaned off it appropriately and everything. And um, I spent five days locked in my bedroom. And I don't know why. I ripped out a lot of my hair and I just mm-hmm. had like a z- and then like I went to my doctor with like a Ziploc bag full of my hair and I was like I've just been in my room ripping my hair out so I think I we should I maybe know. like mm, medicine and like, maybe so it's like you know what I just I got, I got highs and lows and it's, it's some kind of chemical imbalance and there's nothing I can do about it and I just have to take the meds mm-hmm. sometimes you have to mm-hmm. I think that was a hard thing for me to accept like because I wanted to think like eventually I'm going to be okay and it's going to be better but maybe me being okay means me doing all these things to help myself be okay. Yeah, definitely. I'm right now I'm trying to like come off of my anxiety and depression meds and I'm going through the same thing. It's like is my brain chemistry just going to be off cuz like is my brain just like sort of broken and I need help or am I just like leaning on this really hard? Like, I don't really know. And it's really, I'm like scared shitless. Yeah. The last time this happened, I was like depressed for three months and it was horrible. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think it's, it's a hard like conclusion to come to. Like, I really struggle with being like, I'm going to have anxiety and depression for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe that makes me a little tired. <laughs> yeah. Makes me a lot tired. A lot tired. It's like, so we've we've talked to a lot of our friends have anxiety and depression, and um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of people within our age group experience anxiety and depression. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of people are like, you know what, I'm gonna have this for the rest of my life. I'm gonna have to be on meds for the rest of my life, but it's because of the meds that I am able to be a person and be mm-hmm. a human. And I think I think there's a certain point. As somebody who hasn't been medicated with antidepressants for depression, I've been medicated with antidepressants for my migraines. Hmm. Um, as somebody who hasn't had to experience antidepressants for depression solely, um, there's a point where it's like, you know what? I just came off them and now I'm going to go right back on them because mm-hmm. I need them, mm-hmm. you know? And like for me, I don't, I'm I'm lucky enough to have other coping mechanisms that don't require medication, but it does require 
therapy every other week and, you know, coping mechanisms to get me there. And if I don't get there, I start like tweaking and like bugging out. Um, but even then it's like, okay, I need to do this for myself. And if I'm not doing this for myself, it's going to lead to bigger issues. And I think a lot of people with medication, they first hate it. Then they realize that like, no, this actually isn't so bad because I get my life back. Yeah. And I think that realization is important, but I think coming to that realization is hard. It's yeah, it can be really hard. I think coming to the realization that I had to quit drinking was really difficult for me. It's such a big thing in the comedy community. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you're always at a bar. You get paid in drink tickets like, mm -hmm. for so many shows. And after a show, somebody comes, let me get you a shot. Like, it's just such an accepted thing in mm -hmm. that community. And it's hard to not feel left out. Yeah. Um. But yeah, just like all the research I've been like, oh, this will make my medication not work. Like, I can't do this mm -hmm. was was a hard one for me. Oh, and taking your meds at like the same time every day. Mm -hmm. That's been a that's my thing. I can't I can't do it. It's so <laughs> I don't know why. Like, I'm so good at following rules and I love like structure and schedules. But like I'm supposed to take part of my meds in the morning and I can never fucking remember to take them reminder app it's that one that goes off every every day i've said and this is the thing i set apps i have like had a post-it system mm -hmm. in my kitchen like on my coffee pot literally i can't i i can't yeah there's something about it i had to train myself to take birth control like right as soon as i wake up because um I don't have a regular cycle mm -hmm. and i need hormones to help keep anything in my life balanced um, and I'm on progesterone. So like my window of taking it is even smaller. And I'm like, I'm taking it four hours later. This is fine. It's, no, it's, like I can notice like a different difference too. in how I feel when I'm doing it all correctly. And mm -hmm. it's like, I'm just like, God, I wish I could get my mom to do it. I just feel like she would be such a different person. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, she complains all the time, but I'm like, you won't take your medication correctly. So yeah. Like, yeah, do and it's, the thing. It's also like all the other stuff for me, like that makes me really tired. Like I know I have to exercise, mm -hmm. you know, a certain amount per week, or I feel really bad. And like in the winter, I have to use like you know a sun lamp, and I have to take extra vitamins, and I have like all these things. And this is the first winter in which I've done all of those things, and I feel much better than I did last winter. <laughs> You know, it's just, it takes a lot of work and like maintenance. And I'm like, I'm yeah. just, I'm already taking my medication. Like, why can't I just, why eat? can't this be enough? Yeah. I think to like, I'm a very nurturing, mothering kind of person. And I think that I've had to learn, like, it's okay to do something for myself. Mm -hmm. Like that maybe in doing something for myself, I'm, I'm better for my partner. I'm like, mm -hmm. and like okay. that, like to me before that felt selfish. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to take this extra time to go work out. I'm mm -hmm. going to take extra time to sit down and read a book today and do something for myself. Like that always felt like, well, I should be, you know, I should be doing a fundraiser for autism or you know, like yeah. Yeah. just always feeling like I'm, I, got, I get a, got a lot of my self-worth from, from giving and I still does feel very good to me, but I had to realize that it's okay. To be nice to myself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, like my anxiety is 
always telling me I need to be productive. And so I'm constantly like doing stuff. And if I stop doing that and I go work out or I like, I don't know, like have a cup of coffee in the morning without doing anything else, I like my brain is like in overdrive, like have to-do list I need to like get dinner ready I need to like make a grocery list I need to whatever like Mm -hmm. yeah it's like really hard to sort of like shut that down yeah yeah how's um like how's your support network I imagine your girlfriend is you know super supportive she's there she is the absolute best yeah I had to go in the hospital this year and she was there each step of the way she's on the phone with every single person in my family some of them that who she can't stand, but she came in, she was like, she does love my mother. My mother's a lot. Like, she's a lot. And she, she was like, I just talked to Deborah for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, she's she's great. She's wonderful. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what else to say other than, yeah. She's my rock. Yeah, and I think that's so important. I just I have a couple of friends who have um, bipolar disorder, and it's it's really hard to be like be supportive in a way that's going to be helpful for them. Sometimes mm-hmm. when they're in like really really low spots or really really high spots, and I think it's just it's great when you have a good like a working relationship in those times that can be really flexible um, because that's really important because when you have a disorder like that, like you can't, you're again, like you said, like your brain chemistry is just a little off and like (laughs) you, like you have, you have to have a Mm -hmm. support system that's willing to sort of like shift a little bit. She can see a swing sometimes before I can. She'll, she will like, I'll do something. She'll look at me and be like, don't swing on me. (laughs) And like, I mean, and like good for her, you know, like, and and like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what that was. Like mm-hmm. to, like oh I shouldn't be crying because there I my ty- I I did this the other week um I went we were going out to dinner and I found a, there was a hole in my tights and I was like no we can't go anywhere <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like whoa you're swinging you're swinging and I was like, yeah you're right I'm swinging I'm swinging it's, it's like fine. an early alarm system yeah. <laughs> you talked about um. Autism and raising money for autism and um, off um, in the pre-episode you were talking about like working with people with autism. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's that? What's that like? How did you get involved with, you know, working mm-hmm. with within the autism awareness life? Um, well, I have one particular guy that's kind of my world. His name is Mr. Bradley Kent. Um, and I started working with him 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I was taking class at Second City and I just moved to Chicago. I knew nobody. And I made a friend in class that um, worked as a DSP, a direct support person. And um, Bradley was one of her clients. And I would just go with her when she would go work with different clients. And I just really enjoyed myself. But when I met Bradley, something just like clicked. And after, and I would just be like, can I come to work with you? Like I, I wasn't being paid or anything. I just wanted to be around him. And um, so after just got showing up at his house for weeks, his mom was like, do you want a job? And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. I would love sure. one. Okay. And um, yeah, I became 
his his as he would say, "You're my number one girl." <laughs> um, we'd been through a lot together. Brad had real severe behaviors when I first started working with him. Very mm-hmm. aggressive. I'd have black eyes, hair pulled out. I mean, I've had it all, but just like n- nothing has brought me more joy in my life than him. Like. And, like, people would be like, you know, why would you do that? Look at how hurt you are and stuff. And I'm like, because that lasts for five minutes. Like, you don't see the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Like, he is my best friend. He's so funny. Um, like, he picks up phrases. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, girl? All the time. <laughs> All the, and you call me... <laughs> Allie, Allie, I really miss you. I really miss you all. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying, Allie. You know what I'm saying, girl. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because he had this uh, sassy older black woman named Passion that used to work with him. And she used to always say, you know what I'm saying? And so now he says that. Um, when he would get mad, he used to quote uh, Maury. Was it Maury? In the case of baby. <laughs> yes. So he would get really. So this is one of the funniest things he used to do when. And it's not good because he would be having a behavior, but what he would say was gold. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, well fuck you, Allie. In the case, in the case, in the case of two-year-old baby Deborah Clayton, you are not the father. <laughs> Deborah's my mother, um, <laughs> and like like that was the biggest insult he could say. Uh, no, but he's he's so it's it's so amazing that. So many things are so overwhelming to him, like just to watch how he experiences the world and that something's such a struggle. So it's like I think of like when I struggle with my depression or my bipolar or talking to my parents about being gay, anything like that. I'm like, every day is so much harder for Bradley. Mm -hmm. Like if he can... And he goes through life with the biggest smile on his face. Like, if he can do that, then, like, I can do anything. Um, We do a show together, typically about once a year in Chicago, Stand Up for Autism. Bradley hosts with me. We host the night and then have a different performer. And he's the best host you've ever seen. I mean, Bradley Kent can host a show. He He makes everybody stand on their feet in the audience. He won't bring the comic to the stage until everyone's on their feet. <laughs> Come on, people, on your feet. Come on, guys, get up on your feet. And then he'll make you chant the comic's name. And give it up for Mike Leibowitz. Mike, 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 Mike. <laughs> it's just like the best thing you've ever seen in your life. Uh, uh, got O oh, at the end of one of our shows. He wanted to have all the comics come up and bow and bow with him at the end. And... He goes, all of a sudden he comes up and he's holding the hands of everybody and is about to bow. Then all of a sudden he just starts, gets the whole room chanting, friends, 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 <laughs> friends. I'm like, how does everybody's heart just not feel so full right now? So did you, um, with ha- sort of helping diminish his aggressive behaviors, do you think that comes from... um like your personal dynamic with him or do you think that that's just like someone taking the time to like to understand him and meet him where he's at um i think nobody more in the world has taught me that laughter heals more than bradley like 
there's something so amazing that that's how we connect with each other is through comedy, is through being funny. That, you know, there's been, I remember one time he was at a Barnes and Noble and he wasn't allowed to get a book. He didn't have enough money. We were there to buy a gift. I'm trying to teach. We we're coming for what we we came for. We're not spending any more. He didn't like that answer. So he hits the floor and all of a sudden you start hearing, fuck you. Fuck you, bitch. <laughs> fuck you, bitches. <laughs> People are just walking around Barnes and Noble. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? I got to get him off the floor. He's screaming, fuck you, bitch, everybody. And then we, we got, oh, he's getting some books. Here's some flying books, some fuck you, bitches, and some flying books. <laughs> and so I just started, nothing is funnier to him than a fart, a fart and cuss words. So I just start like walking like a chicken in circles around Barnes and Nobles going shit, <laughs> shit, 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 assholes. <laughs> and he just died laughing. And then we were able to get up and leave the store. And it's like, there's people probably thought I was completely insane. But like, who cares? Um, yeah, just, just anytime anything's happening, if I can get him to laugh. Everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming, Allie. Where can people find you? Um, oh, for Twitter and Instagram at A Country Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> you got to know your brand. Um, and uh, I have a show March 30th, Low in the City, 830 at the Daily Press in Brooklyn. Cool, cool. Um, and if you want to find us, you can find us on Instagram at Frau Pal Podcast and Facebook at Frau Pal Podcast. Um, and you can also send us love letters if you want on Gmail at Frau Pal Podcast at gmail.com. And don't, don't be a, a dick. dick. <laughs>